Please stand for our scripture reading today. It's from Acts 10, 34 to 48. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days.
Have you ever discovered that everything you thought about, that you knew about a particular person was wrong? Have you ever had that moment of discovery where everything you thought you knew about a particular topic was wrong? I've had that many times in my life. Growing up in the church, I've always learned certain things that, that I was taught in Sunday school. For instance, Adam and Eve ate an apple. I discovered one day it never says that in the Bible. It messed with my whole worldview. I had now I couldn't I had no excuse for hating apples. I, I had to I had to accept them now. Or what about this? The fact that the Bible tells us that Adam or Eve did not go and be tempted by Satan, then go to her husband Adam and tell him the story, and he gave in as well. And 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 from which women have been blamed for the creation of sin in this world for many generations. But when you read the text, it says that Adam who was with her, took the apple. And all of a sudden, I discovered it was Adam failing to be the spiritual leader he should have been who allowed that to happen. Just messes with your whole worldview. What about the fact that uh, Jonah really wasn't swallowed by a whale? Some of you are learning some of these things for the first time this morning. I can tell by a look on your face. What do you mean he wasn't swallowed by a whale? Read the Bible. It says a big fish. There were no whales in, the, in that particular part of the country. or part of the country. There were no whales in the country at all. There were no whales in that particular body of water. But there was a fish scientists have found large enough to swallow a human being. Oh, what about the fact that, that, as we've talked about over the Christmas holiday, there weren't necessarily three kings at the manger. The Bible never tells us how many there were. It just says there were three gifts. The Bible also tells us that uh, it doesn't ever say they were kings. They were more likely astronomers and wise men. And they never got to the manger. They came and visited him, in, visited the, the young babe as a toddler in their home. These things that we've been taught all these years of our life that really we've accepted because we haven't matched them up with Scripture and we don't know that what we've learned is wrong. Well, how about this one? Have you ever learned that God does allow you to go through more than you can handle? What about that one? God will never give you more than you can handle. That's talking only about temptation. He'll make a way out. We broaden that and say, oh, God never gives you more than, handle, more than you can handle. And we wonder sometimes, God must really trust me because I'm going through a lot of stuff. And we realize that God does give me more than I can handle so that I will reach out to him. Well, what about this one? Uh, God created me this way. You know, that's, that, I'll tell you, God did not create me this way, I'm telling you, all right? <clears throat> it is the fault, uh, I am the way I am because of the fault of a sinful generation, generations. Sin entered in the world, and God, creating us in his image, gave us the ability to create life. And so I am the way I am because of my mom and my father. Their DNA is all God had to work with. All right. So when you look and, and you say, well, God, God created me in my mother's womb. No, it says God formed me in my mother's womb. Very different words. Very different understanding. It's not the creative made out of nothing. It's the shaping of what was there and forming of what is there, which came from my mother and my father. I am who I am because of the genetics that I received shaped and formed by God changes your worldview, doesn't it? Well, the passage we're going to talk about today is, is one of those life-changing moments. How many of you remember the story of Elijah being taken up uh, into heaven in a chariot of fire? 
right? How many of you understand he went to heaven in a chariot of fire? Gotcha. I'm going to change your worldview today because he never went to heaven in a chariot of fire. We'll get to that in a few moments. You'll see it. And, and, and so I, I bring all that up to ask the question, is it possible, is it just possible that much of what we know about God and about being a Christ follower, a Christian, is based upon some story that we've picked up over the years, either wrongfully taught to us or just assumed by the Christian faith, that, that there's something about this story of God and, that I've understood that is wrong because it's not founded on the truth found in the Word of God. Is it possible that you and I have been living our lives based upon an inferior substitute for God's presence in our lives? That we've been living our lives based upon the stories of the past instead of based upon an active, growing, living relationship with the God of the present? Is it possible that you can really, really be in God's presence daily? Too many of us are willing to live with less than God's presence in our lives. We've gotten used to the substitutes, and we're going to talk about that today, and we've stopped seeking the real presence of God in our lives. A couple weeks ago, we started this series, Living in God's Presence. We started talking about this idea of the 2815 challenge, where uh, in the lectionary, we're actually working through the book of Acts. You're hearing that read today. Today, you heard the story of Peter uh, as he was taken and um, shown by God to step outside of what he knew of God, which was simply solely for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish faith. And God, in a, in a revelation, and in, in beginning, I challenge you, if you haven't read it already, you should have. If you took the 2815 challenge, you should be past it. But you understand in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision, and God sends him on a mission, and all of a sudden the doors are open up, and not only is Jesus proclaimed to the Gentiles, but the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles so that everyone around the world would know about who God is. For Peter, it was an aha moment. It was that, that moment where his worldview was rocked and changed. And, and, and so is it possible that as we look through these stories that it is possible to live in God's presence daily? As we're reading through the book of Acts together, you should be about uh, Acts chapter 14. You should have finished that already. And we're reading one chapter a day, taking about 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you read. Uh, if you're a fast reader like me, you can get through all seven chapters in 15, 20 minutes. You can read through that all seven every day if you want. But we're asking you to spend one chapter a day in God's presence, asking him to show you how the Holy Spirit worked in the life of the book of Acts in the early church. And then we're going to see that, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back on the day of Pentecost and talk about what sparked and what started all that you read through in the book of Acts. It's amazing. By this point, you're hearing stories and miracles. We're into the, in the chapters on, on the persecution, and, and, and Stephen's been stoned and killed, and, and Paul has persecuted the church, and Paul's had his confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and, and all of a sudden, his whole worldview has changed, and now all of a sudden, he's out serving God, and, and missionary journeys are beginning to happen, and, and Peter uh, and people are dying for the faith, and, and the, the mission of God is spread around the world. That's what can happen if we experience a Pentecost, if we experience the presence of God. So we talked two weeks ago about Moses, and he was asking for God's presence. We talked last week about David and, and this idea of giving myself completely to God. Today I want to talk to you about Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. 
and we're going to talk about this idea of seeking God's presence. Now, this is Mother's Day. Hopefully that did not come as a surprise for anybody. Uh, if so, leave as soon as the service is over, make some changes, and act like it never happened. You're good. All right, but if, in case you, uh, in case you, uh, you discovered, you didn't discover, you knew this was Mother's Day, this message is not really a Mother's Day message. But I want you to think about it as we go through this. The same points that we're talking about seeking God's presence really truly are things that mothers do on a regular basis. I wish I could say I planned it that way. It just kind of came together in timing that way. But how true some of these things are in, in mothers and seeking the presence of their children and, and being there for their children. That's interesting, those steps but that we're going to talk about. But let's go to the, the passage in 2 Kings. We're going to find um, Elijah has been following, or has been, been going around doing all his ministry. Elisha has been following him. It's very confusing, confusing to be able to say Elijah and Elisha in the same sentence, but this is all about both of them. And, and there's an interesting dialogue that's happening. This is the day that Elijah is leaving the earth. Now, as a financial advisor, I get asked all the time, when am I going to die? Well, if I knew that answer, planning for you would be very simple. We just plan to that date, and then after that, it goes to somebody else. We've got this figured out. The hard part is we don't know when we're going to die. God does, but we don't. And I don't know about you, but he hasn't really told me what's going to happen in my life. But this day, Elijah knows. Not just Elijah, but all the prophets know that this is the day Elijah is leaving. God's going to come for him. So Elisha is doing some specific things. He, he's, he's, there's this dialogue between Elijah and Elisha that happens all day long. And when we get to the chariot of fire part of the story, that is really for Elisha to, to test him and see if he is really serious about being in God's presence, about receiving God's spirit in his life. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, there it is. He didn't go in the tornado. He went, I mean, he didn't go in the chariot of fire. He went in the tornado, the whirlwind. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was a center of, of training in the day where there were prophets. You'll hear the story in a minute. We're going to hear about 50 prophets. Everywhere they went, there were companies of prophets that they had trained. And on this last day, Elijah is going back to the three main areas in which he had trained prophets to say goodbye, give his parting, his parting words to them, and encourage them. Elijah said to Elisha, verse 2, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and said, um, do you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? As if he didn't already know that. Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it again. When, then Elisha, Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, a little bit of deja vu happening here, as surely as the Lord lives and as I live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord's going to take you, your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but, I, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent You see this pattern happening? Elijah is trying to say to Elisha, just stay here, stay here, stay here. And Elisha's saying, no way. I am not going to miss this moment. I'm going to be with you to the very end. 
Elijah said, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. It's interesting. Watch this. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. They're there on one side of the Jordan River, staying off in the distance, but wanting to see what happens. They know this is going to be a momentous moment. God's going to come and take Elijah, but they want to see, and they're watching from a distance, respectful of what's about to happen. So they stop at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Wow. Just pause there for a moment and let that sink in. Of all the things I can give you before I, before I die, before I'm taken from you, Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. There it is again. The chariot of fire and the horses of fire were there to be a distraction. wonder what happens. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took off his own, they took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Back to the company of prophets. The company of the prophets from Jericho who, who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This really is an amazing story. And it's packed full of so many different things that we could talk about. But I want to talk about this idea of being in the presence of the Spirit and allowing God's Spirit to come upon you. How do we do that? What are the things that we can do that we can learn from Elisha to prepare ourselves to receive God's Spirit? Well, I think, first of all, we need to strategically position yourself where you find God working. Strategically position where you find God working. It was interesting that Elijah and Elisha were together throughout this whole day as things happened. Elijah gave Elisha so many opportunities just to stay here, stay here, stay here. And Elisha said, no, I want to be where God is at work. I want, to, I want to be right in the center of this. I have a plan for how this is going to play out, and it's going to be with you to the very end. Uh, I, I grew up in a church in northwestern Pennsylvania, in uh, Greenville, Pennsylvania. And uh, one of my favorite things, when I started age 12, I switched over from um, baseball to church softball. I found it was a lot easier I wasn't the greatest hitter. I was always younger than everybody else in my class, and, and so my athletic skill came later in life, and I just found it easier just to be with the church guys and learning to play church softball. And, and I started out at that, that place that everybody who's young and has no skill starts, second base. Right field was already taken. 
so those are the, you know, second base. We'll put him on second base. He can't do any harm from there. Well, I grew. I began to, I began to mature, and, and, and I began to learn that if, if I wanted to get out of second base, I had to develop a skill set. So I learned how to pitch, slow pitch softball. I got so good at it, in fact, I can actually throw a curveball and slow pitch softball if the, if the wind conditions are right. I struck out a, a home run hitter one time. He's looking, the ball's back here when it leaves my hand. He's just laughing at me, and it curves right in front, strike three, you're out. He wasn't laughing anymore. But I learned about age 15 that pitching was boring. You don't get any action. You touch the ball every, every play, but you really don't get any action. You don't get, the, you know, unless the ball comes back at you and you try and save your life by sticking your glove in front of your face, you really don't get much action in the pitcher's mound. So I taught my dad how to pitch so then I could go to the coveted shortstop position. And I got really good at playing shortstop. I really did. But I had a secret plan. The, the secret plan was the left fielder. His name was Don Schaefer, and we're still friends to this day. And, and I grew up, as I was growing up, I wanted to learn to be as good of a ball player as Don Schaefer. Now, you got to understand, Don Schaefer was, was kind of a farmer. Uh, he grew up on a farm, so he didn't wear shoes to play church softball. So guess what I did? I didn't wear shoes either. You know what? To this day, I hate wearing shoes to play softball. <laughs> to this day, I hate wearing shoes anytime. I would much rather be barefoot right now than wearing dress shoes. It's much more comfortable, it's much more natural. You can feel the ground, you can grip it, you, you can feel every stone that you step on on the way to the ball, it's exhilarating. And, and what I knew about Don Schaefer is if the ball got past me at shortstop, if the ball was hit hard and it would get through the gap or over, just over my head that I couldn't get to it, I knew that I had one option if I wanted to live to get older in life, and that was duck. If I missed the ball, I just squatted down on the ground because I knew Don Schaefer was behind me. He had my back. He would get that ball and throw people out from left field at first base if I didn't get it. We made a great team. There were times that, that he was way deep in the left field and, and people would, were tagged from third base to run home. I'd just laugh because I knew he had them. You know, they're five feet off the base. They see the ball coming by them. Their eyes are like, what, where'd that come from? Don Schaefer was right there behind me every time. And between the two of us, we had a pretty tight left side of the field. You see, I knew as I developed my way around softball, I wanted to be where the action was. I wanted to be where the, the hot corner of the, of the ball field is, in that shortstop left field area, third base area. That's usually where most people hit out that way. And I wanted to be right in the center of it. So I strategically positioned myself to get to where the action was. I want to suggest to you that positioning is crucial to our spiritual life. Positioning yourself in the right place to find where God is working is crucial to your, to your spiritual growth. It's crucial to this idea of really understanding where God is and living in his presence. How do we position ourselves? We're going back to the basics today, folks. I'm not going to tell you anything new. But maybe you'll have an aha moment today. Well, we position ourselves by reading his word, reading the Bible. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that only a study was done. I didn't tell you the full details of it, but a study was done looking at Christians who attend church on a regular basis, uh, on, on a regular basis on Sundays. And they did a study, and they, they came up with a conclusion and looked and said, okay, how many of you read your Bible on a regular basis? Now, how many of you pick it up between Sundays? Only 40% of Christians who are in, the chew, in, their, in our pews, in our chairs, every Sunday, only 40% of them said, I read my Bible between Sundays. 
going back to the basics. What could God do in our lives if we actually read his word? You see, when we position ourselves around reading his word, we see where God's working. We see where he's acting. We see, as we're going through the book of Acts together, those mighty acts of God, those times when all, all, all things are falling apart, and yet God comes in in the power of his Holy Spirit and changes everything. Does that not grow our faith when we begin to see who God is and how he acts throughout history? Well, not only do we read his word, but his church. Now, this has been a tough one. We've talked about this. This has been a tough one this past year, gathering for corporate worship, being able to do that on a regular basis. Have you heard the news this week? That, that Memorial Day, all the restrictions go away except the masks. And then once 70% of adults age 18 and over in our state have received the vaccines, the masks disappear. Now, I know why that was laid out there. It was to say, go get your vaccine. I, I get that. It's a, it's, a, it's a trick. It's a manipulation. I see that. I'm not that dumb. But can you imagine when we get to that point? I challenged a friend of mine, said, I'm not getting a vaccine. I said, if, if we got to 69.9%, would you go get that vaccine? You know, <laughs> we were go, going back and forth. He said, you know the answer to that. I said, okay. You know, it's a personal opinion. I get that. But here's the thing. I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm talking about, can you imagine a time where we can get together without all the stuff that keeps us separated? We were created by God to be in relationship with him and with each other. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What did God do every day? He came and walked through the garden with Adam and Eve, his creation. That's the kind of intimacy God wants with us. And why don't we experience it? I think many times we're out of position. We're not positioning ourselves where he's working. We're not taking time reading the word. We're not taking time to gather in corporate worship. And we're not spending enough time with his people. Small group gatherings of the church. I, I, I miss that. And, and, and really, I, I miss the times where it's not just about getting together and sharing prayer requests. I, I get that we need to pray for each other. But I'll tell you, sometimes our prayer requests could be done in about this amount of time and say, I have a friend who's battling with cancer. Please pray for Bob. That's all I need to know to pray. I don't need all the details. But I'm talking about getting together in, in small groups where we study God's word together and say, this is what I'm learning from this passage today. I'm learning today that Elijah, Elijah did not go up to heaven to be with God in a chariot. It's an eye-opening experience. The chariot was the distraction. But what's important is that Elisha positioned himself to be where God was working. I wonder what we could do if we would position ourselves better. If we could really experience God's presence, if we really began to seek him. You see, when we neglect these things in our lives, we're out of position. And when we're out of position in our spiritual lives, we don't experience the presence of God like he intended. So here's a simple thought, and it's not going to be on the screen. It's in your outline. It says this, don't expect to find God's presence if you're not willing to go where God is. Don't expect to find God's presence if you're not willing to go where God's at work. 
So seeking his presence, step one, find where he's at work, position yourself to be there. That's what Elisha was doing this day. But then we also need to move when God moves. It's, it's interesting. I'm going to come back to this passage in just a moment. But in verses 2 through 8, God was sending Elijah on a journey. Elisha refused to stay where he was. Instead, he wanted to stay by Elijah's side every step of the journey. He was positioning himself to be where God was going to work, but then he was moving as God was moving. As God was taking Elijah from town to town to visit the bands of the groups of prophets and the company of prophets, as the scripture tells us, he was going from town to town. He always said, stay here with them, stay here with them. And he said, no, I want to be, I'm going to move. God's moving you to the next town. I'm coming with you. I want to see what God's doing, and I'm willing to move. Once I find where God's at work, I'm willing to move as God moves. Did you know that God is an amazingly creative God? He's not stuck in the past. Rather, he's at work creating something new in his church every day. You see, the problem is, is that too many of us, for the most part, are living in the past. Most of our churches are stuck in the past. We want God to work like he did in the past. Remember, we jokingly said, you know, there's a thing called the good old days, and they weren't really that good. They were just old. Uh, that, that's, that's half-heartedly joking, because I remember some of the good old days. I remember how God worked back then. You know, the sad part is I'm old enough to be able to say, I remember the good old days. When you get to that age, I'm telling you, one foot in the grave, you're already there. When you can remember the good old days. But here's the thing about the good old days. They were good for that time. Because that's the way God chose to work in that time, in that generation. Look at the passage on the screen. Isaiah's encouraging us, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You see, I believe God is on the move. I believe there are things that God wants to do yet today in our nation. I get frustrated when I listen to the news. I don't know if you do. I, I get so frustrated when I hear things and, and some of the TV shows right now and their plays on on the, the, the actual events that have happened this past year. And, and it's, it's frustrating for me to sit down and watch a TV show right now because we're missing it, folks. We're missing it. God wants to work in this generation. He wants to work in this time. Uh, let me help you out here. God wants to work while we still have the masks on, while we're still socially distant. We've just got to figure out how to do that. God wants to work. And every generation, God has chosen to do things that reach that generation. Now, the problem is this. We love the church the way it was the day we accepted Christ into our hearts and lives. Because that's what reached us. And so we hang on to that because that's how we connected to God. When I look at how I came to faith in God, and what I see God doing today, it couldn't be more radically different. But one thing I've learned, God reached me, and it would be selfish of me to say the church has to stay there to meet my needs when there are generation after generation that God wants to do something new and different to reach them. And so I've had to learn, as I'm getting older, I've had to learn 
to change with the times. I've had to move when God moved. And I did that because I didn't want to lose track of God, and I I mean that half-heartedly. We never really lose track of God. God never loses track of us. But I want to move where God's moving, even if it's new and different, even if it's a new thing that I'm not yet perceiving. You're about to get a new pastor. And and what that means is that means my time with you is getting shorter. Our time as a family with you guys is getting shorter. And and, um, we're kind of sad about that, I'll be honest. We're, We're sad about that, but that's the nature of what I'm doing. And we're going to miss a lot of you, but you've got a new pastor coming in. God is going to lead Pastor Chris in leading you in amazing directions. The question is, will you move as God moves? Will you position yourself in the right place to be in his presence in, what he, in where he's working? And then as he moves in different directions, will you move with him, seeking his presence and continuing to grow and work as God wants? Let's see if this one comes up. There it is. Don't expect to find God's presence if you're not willing to move when God moves. I've seen a lot of changes in the church. When I came to ministry, started in ministry about 30 years ago, it's a totally different church today than it was then. And I'm okay with that. But what I have seen is people that weren't willing to move that said, I don't sense God's presence in any of this because we're looking for God in a place he no longer is. We're looking for God in in a way that he no longer is working. It worked for that generation, but now it's something new and something different. And when I move when God moves, I stay in his presence, and I see him do amazing things. That's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what Elisha understood. As God was moving, he needed to be there. But in order to do all of that, he also had to avoid the distractions. But before he did that, he had to make the big ask. I love it when when you've scanned. I I love iPads technology, but sometimes when you flick the screen to move, if you have a tablet, you know what I'm talking about, sometimes it goes too fast on you and, and just jumps out, then maybe that's God saying, move it along, but I don't know. Make the big ask for God's presence. Elisha asked for something very odd and unique. Elijah said to him, what can I leave with you? He said, I want one thing. I want a double portion of your presence, of your spirit. I want a double portion of God's spirit in your life on me. Now, that sounds a little greedy, doesn't it? That sounds like I'm saying to to Elijah, I want to be twice the man you were. I want to be twice the prophet of God you were. I want to do twice the things that you did. Until we understand that that's not at all what he's saying. What he's referring to is, is the, the, the common day inheritance law. And the inheritance law of the day understood that the oldest son, the oldest child, would receive a double portion as the inheritance was split up. So if there were th- two children, the oldest child would get twice as much as the second. If there, if there were three children, it would be split four ways. The oldest child would get two shares, and each child would get one. He wasn't saying, I want to be twice the person you are. I want to have everything that is mine as an inheritance of what you have been doing in God's presence. He made a big ask that day, just like Moses did. Remember when Moses asked for the face of God? He said, God, I don't want to go any further. I I need to see your glory. I need to see your face. I need to see you at work. I need to see you. And God said, it's be too much for you 
but I'll let you see my back, and I'll cover you as I walk by. And Moses was amazed. He made the big ask, and God answered. Elisha made the big ask of Elijah, and Elijah said, if you see me when I'm gone, as I'm leaving, it'll be answered. It's a lot to ask. But I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes when you and I position or strategically position ourselves to be where God's working, and, and when we move, when God moves, I wonder sometimes if we're just not ready to make that big ask for his presence in our lives. What would happen if you would say to God, I'm going to commit to strategically positioning myself where you are at work. When you move, I'm going to move. Even if I don't like the direction or the, or the, that we're heading, I'm going to move with you. But I need to see your presence. I'm not willing to go it alone. I need a greater outpouring of your spirit and your presence in my life. I wonder what God would do in your life. I wonder what God would do at Table Life. Don't expect to find God's presence if you're not willing to make the big ask. And what I've learned as I've gotten older is I've learned that my faith in God has changed. This is not a good thing. Some of you can relate to this. I remember in those days when I was playing church softball, 15, 16-year-old in high school, I remember warming up for the game at home and, uh, and looking at the storm clouds in the sky and praying to God, day after day. Hold the rain off until the game is over. Hold the rain off until the game is over. I want to play tonight. Hold the game, hold the, hold the rain off until the game is over. And you know what's so amazing about that? We chuckle at that. It's like, oh, how could you, how could you believe God would do that? Because he did. I can't tell you how many times as soon as the third out of the seventh inning the last of three outs were, was completed. I can't tell you how many times it started raining. And when I was 15 and 16 years old, and I saw God do that time and time again, I began to believe in a God that cared enough about me that it was okay to hold the rain off a couple hours until the game was over. You know what I found as I get older? It's harder to trust God for that little prayer. Because would he really love me that much? Think we care about something so simplistic. And I think as we get older, we begin to trust God for the bigger things in ways that we never understood when we were younger. But I think we also forget to trust him for the little things like we did when we were younger. See, I can trust God for some pretty big things in my life right now. Can I trust him to hold the rain off? I don't know. But I do know that if I never ask God, if I never make the big ask, I'm never going to see his presence at work in my life. And, and you see, we need to make the big ask for God's presence daily in our lives. If we're not willing to do that, even if we position ourselves and move when he moves, but we're not willing to say, God, I want more of you. I want your presence in my life in a powerful way. If we're not willing to do that and believe that he wants that for us, then we're not going to experience his presence. 
But we need to move on. I think the fourth thing you already have figured out is avoid the distractions. Elisha uh, and Elijah have this conversation going on, and in verses 11 and 12, a chariot of fire appeared and separated the two of them. But understand this, God was not in the chariot. The chariot was a good thing. Elisha said, oh, it's the, 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 the chariot of, the, of Israel, and, and it's these amazing things. And he recognized right away the symbolism of what was happening. It was a power, but that's when, where God was. God was in the gentle whirlwind that was reaching down and bringing Elijah up. The, the big show, the chariot and all of that, that was a distraction. So what is your chariot of fire today? What is it that's distracting you from being in God's presence every day? I, I think there's so many good things that we do in our lives as Christians that, that it's, it's simple to, to go through the routine and enjoy these things. But I think sometimes even the good things are the distraction. What I mean by that, three things that I came up with that, again, no big surprise, but what about vocation? Do we allow our, our jobs to keep us from being in God's presence? Are we so busy at work? Are we so busy working so many hours a week to pay the bills or to climb the corporate ladder? Are we so busy with that that we miss the time with God? You, you see, there's nothing wrong with, with having a job. It, it, it actually works well that way. I hate to tell you, there's going to come a time when unemployment bonuses of $300 and $600 a week are going to disappear. You know, uh, I've known many people that have chosen not to go find another job this past year until this is all over because of the bonuses. They were making more on unemployment with a stimulus check than they were. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying, do our jobs keep us from the presence of God? Are we so busy focusing on that? Well, what about this one? And hold on to your seats. This one's a tough one. What about family? Family is a good thing. We're here celebrating Mother's Day. Mothers are good. You wouldn't be here without one, okay? Mothers are good. Families are good. But sometimes we can allow the busyness of our family life to so overtake our schedules that we have no time for the presence of God. And we allow all the things that come with a family to distract us from being in God's presence. What are those things? We've got to prepare all the meals, got to get the kids up, get them dressed for school. We've got to help them with homework when they're home. We've got to do this, this, and this. And by the way, uh, somehow I've got to spend some time with God in the midst of all of this. And by the time I get through it all and get down to the end of the day because I've been at work all day or uh, all of this has happened, and all of a sudden God just gets pushed out. So sometimes our busy schedules can be a distraction. Here's the really technical one. All right, you ready for this big technical term? I may have to explain it to you, but this is what I find to be a really big distraction in my life. It's called stuff. That's the good things in life that keep us from the best. It's the good things in life that we enjoy that keep us from the best things in life. This past July, I had rotator cuff surgery in my shoulder, and, and uh, part of that was the blessed instruction from the, my doctor said, you're not allowed to do any yard work the rest of this year. I went home and I said to my wife, I said, I don't want you pushing the lawnmower because we have a half acre of grass to mow. I don't want you doing that. Can, 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 I, can I buy a tractor? You know? And, and, and so the answer was yes, as long as it's used and doesn't exceed this price. And, and so believe it or not, I found one. And all last season, I enjoyed. I finally got my, my, my John Deere. 
And I'm cruising around the backyard, and I realized pretty quickly just shifting gears and the shaking of that probably did, did more for the pain in my shoulder than pushing the lawnmower would have. But that's okay. I was, in, I was in, and enjoying that. And I lost my steps, but I got done faster. And, and so I'm thinking, this is great. I've got my tractor. I now have an aerator that I tow behind it so I can aerate my lawn in the spring and the fall. And I'm so excited about this thing, except for this week. We, plant, we aerated, we planted grass seed, we let the, letting the grass grow higher so give time for the, the seed to root in the soil. And went out to use the tractor and it wouldn't start. So I had a charger, I put the charge on the battery and it started. I was, oh great, I went out, I did the two circles around our very small front yard and it stopped. The long story short is this. The tractor is now disassembled in many pieces of the engine, laying on a desk that I got back from my son that I was supposed to take downstairs, but it made a good workbench temporarily. And I've spent more time this week working on that tractor, ordering parts, and push mowing my lawn than the tractor would have saved me. You see, the more stuff we get, the more responsibility we have to maintain our stuff. And pretty soon we can be overwhelmed with stuff that we don't have time for God. We need to avoid those distractions. You see, don't expect to find God's presence when you allow yourself to be distracted by the things of this world. And then finally, we learn this from, from Elisha. Do something with God's presence. Why would God want to reveal his presence to those he knows will do nothing with it? God did not create us. This is powerful. God didn't create us to feel better by being in his presence. He created us to have fellowship with him and to go on his mission to win the world. Do you know why Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's spirit? It's because God knew in Elisha there was someone that he could trust to do something with what he was given. Statistics say in the average church in America, 20% of the people in the, in the pews on a Sunday, on a given Sunday, 20% of the people were actually involved in the ministry, either in the church or outside the church. 20%. That means that there's 80% who call themselves Christians who are doing nothing with the faith that God has given them. And why would God give me his presence if I did nothing with it? Why would I expect that of him? Why would I expect a holy God to have an intimate, growing relationship with me and teach me the things about him and then him have no expectation that I actually act upon what I know? You see, I want to suggest to you that we can't expect to find God's presence when we refuse to do anything for God. So what does this mean today for us? What does this really mean? Uh, I want to ask the question, are you settling for the substitute of God's presence? And by that, I mean the things of life. Are you, are you going through life? Are you learning your Bible stories? You're, you're coming to church and, and singing the songs and all of that, and you're going through life and through the routine of life, and yet it's absent of the presence of God daily at work in your heart and life? Or... Are you seeking his presence daily? You see, if I'm really going to seek God's presence, I can't expect to experience his presence if I'm not positioning myself where he is working. 
I can't expect to experience God's presence in my life if I'm not willing to move when God moves and follow him where he is moving and working. I can't expect to experience God's presence in my life if I'm not making the big ask for his presence. I can't expect to experience God's presence in my life if my life is filled with distractions. And I can't expect to experience God's presence if I'm not willing to do something with it in serving him. Elisha experienced a double portion of Elijah's spirit because he was a man that God could trust to pour out his blessing on him and to carry on what Elijah had done. And the interesting thing about it is as he comes to the Jordan, as he had seen Elijah do many times with his cloak, he rolled it up and he touched the Jordan, the waters parted. In that moment, there was evidence. Evidence for Elisha that Elijah's spirit that he had understood and followed from his mentor was resting upon his life now. Evidence by 50 prophets across the river seeing that God's presence now rested on Elisha. What do others say about you when they see your life? Do they say there's a person whose God's presence is found? Let's pray. Father, it is true that we can live daily in your presence. It's true that we can have this amazing, growing, faith-filled relationship with you. But we also let so many things distract us. And sometimes we ask for something that we're not willing to do anything with. So, Father, today, instead of a a response today, would would you help us to really spend some time reflecting and thinking upon what we've talked about? Especially in in light of Pentecost coming in a couple of weeks and that celebration that we're going to have of what you did in the early church and, and the newness and freshness of the Holy Spirit poured out, but also the newness and freshness of a new pastor coming to table life. And we're excited about that. We're excited about the possibilities. But Father, I pray that when she arrives, she will find a group of people that are not just experiencing the presence of God in their lives daily, but she will find a group of people who are willing to get out and move and serve and do big things for you. And Father, when that happens, the 50 people that live in the homes right around the church will start taking notice when they see something new and different, some, some kind of love and power that, that, that is beyond who we are as individuals, our friends, our neighbors, our families will see that there is something different in our lives and it is the presence of God like we've never experienced before. Can we seek after that? Would you challenge us to seek after that as we continue to read your word through Acts this week and, and we come back next Sunday to, to talk more about this idea of living in your presence? Father, would you help us to truly seek you? this week in ways we never have before. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do in our lives and in this church. We give you a blessing and praise. Amen.